Thank you, Jimmy. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. We're going to attempt to get through the whole chapter. It's only 14 verses. We were able to do it last week on 15 verses, so I should be in good shape, right? Or I guess it wasn't last week, two weeks ago. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word when you find it. Zechariah chapter 7. Hopefully by now you're able to find Zechariah pretty easy. We can uh, sometimes wonder what the value of some of these old books are, but trust that the Lord will help us as we try to be relevant again this evening. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Chislu, when they had sent to the house of God Sherezer and Regemelech and their men to pray before the Lord. And to speak to the priests were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophet, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done these so many years? Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those seventy years, did ye all fast unto me, even unto me? And when ye did eat, and we did drink, and we did eat for yourselves, and drink for yourselves. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and the cities thereof round about her, when men inhabited the south and the plain? And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, and show mercy and compassion to every man his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. Let, alone, uh, let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an uh, abnant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent to his spirit. By the former prophets, therefore, came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Therefore, it is come to pass that as he cried, that they would not hear. So they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passeth through nor returned, for they laid the pleasant land desolate. Father, thank you for the presence of the Lord this morning or and this evening. Both services, you've come, you visited us, and we appreciate it so very much. We ask that you would come this moment, the moments to come, that the Word of God would be set as the center of our service, the most important part, and that you would honor it and glorify it. We ask these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Why do you do what you do? Have you ever thought about that? 
Why do you do what you do? Not everybody does what you do. But you do. Why do you do the things that you do? And why do you choose to do some things and choose not to do other things? Why have you chosen to live this way and not another way? I'm going to be honest with you right from the beginning of this message. This message is going to be hard to preach and it's going to be hard to hear. Because we don't want to think about why we do what we do. We don't like messages like that. We don't like to hear them. We don't like to preach them. We don't want to be anywhere near a sermon that gets to the heart of the issue. We re what we really want is we want to go through the routine and be comfortable. Why you got to pick on us, preacher? I'm not trying. Lord just led me to Zechariah. People have come. They've come from Bethel down to Jerusalem, and they have, they have come with a question. We want to ask the, the priest, and we want to ask those in the know, do we have to keep fasting in the fifth month? Now, kind of interesting when you look at this passage. This fast, and there were five of them that they had added after they were taken into captivity. Five different fasts that, they were, that were added when the siege began and when the gates were burned and when the temple fell. And, and they had this list of five new fasts that the, while they were in Babylon, they were doing them all very important in, uh, to commemorate bad things that happened because of their sin. And so, they started these fast. And here's the situation. We, this is, this is a, a time when the temple is, is well on its way to being completed. In fact, it's been two years since all these prophecies, that, these night visions that Zechariah has, uh, and we've been preaching about. It's been two years that Zechariah has not been preaching. Well, he's probably been preaching, but not getting prophetic messages from the Lord. And these people from Bethel, and I find it interesting that these men are from Bethel. If you remember when Israel and, and Judah separated, King Jeroboam didn't want the people of Israel going down to Jerusalem into Judah's territory in order to worship the Lord. And so at one of the places that he set up a calf, a golden calf for worship was in Bethel. This is a city that has a history of having a substitute God, a substitute priest, a substitute religion. The men who show up do not have Hebrew names. They have Babylonian names. Not interesting. I'm not trying to criticize them. I'm not trying to run them down. I don't know who they are. I'm not, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details about these men. But mom and dad must have given them these, these Babylonian names, trying to get them to fit in with the culture. 
trying to get things to, to go a little easier for them, perhaps. And they have, here they are, they've been in the land of Judah. They've, they're, they've no longer in the exile, but they've kept their Babylonian names. And this is their question. Do we still have to fast about the burning and the, the loss of the temple now that the new temple's almost built? Do we still have to do that? We've done it for so long. Can you hear the impatience in their voice? We've done it for so many years. In fact, it, if you go in the original, when it says that to pray to the Lord, what, it, what the, the Hebrew word there means, to stroke the face of the Lord. You know, like a small child does to their father. They stroke the face, trying to get on dad's good side. To entreat, to, to, to you know, kind of flatter God a little bit. And they're saying to, to God, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for us to have to do this fasting anymore on this particular day now that the temple's almost complete. And do you know what? There's no problem. They seem to have pretty good reason to not fast. They got a, they've got a, 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 the opportunity to celebrate this new temple. There's only one fast required in the law. Yom Kippur. So there's, this is not required by God. There's no prophet. There's no, uh, there's no edict from the Lord that says you have to fast this particular fast. And yet, do you hear the way the people are asking? Do we really have to do this? It's an attitude. Do you, we really have to live this way? Do we really have to conduct ourselves this way? And one of the things that's really dangerous is when we go to the Lord with an attitude. Now, I suppose that we can't help but go with some kind of attitude. I suppose that we always have some kind of attitude when we go to the Lord. But their attitude is one of already telling God, we don't want to do this. We want to do something else. Can we do something else? Do you know what happens when we go to God that way? God often gives us our way. God often just gives in to us. You don't want to do it? Don't. There's a lot of people that have put their standards to the question. Do we really have to do this? You know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that we have to go to church on Sunday nights. There isn't. And how many churches no longer have church on Sunday nights? Do we have to do this anymore? There's a lot, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to have a midweek prayer service. Am I saying that we're more spiritual than them because we do? Not necessarily. I mean, there could be another church down the road that has two midweek prayer services, Tuesdays and Thursdays. They'd be more spiritual than us, right? I mean, we could just keep adding and adding and adding to the scriptures. We could do it that way. 
But really, it comes down to our attitude about it. Do we have an attitude? Well, we are spiritually superior to those people who only meet on Sunday mornings. Or, you know... Lord, help me this evening. Or what if God told us he wanted us to do something else on Sunday nights, something that was out in our community and not for ourselves on Sunday nights? Then how would we feel about it? Now I know I just stepped on toes. I did, didn't I? I'm sorry I stepped on your toe if I did. But we need, when it doesn't come to God's word, when it's outside of, of God's instructions, we have to be careful about how we come to the Lord and our attitude and our request. So the Lord responds. He said, and I love this about God, he just decides that he's going to ask some questions. Instead of telling him the answer, in fact, he doesn't give the answer until the next chapter. But here's his reply. When you fasted, did you do it for me? Really for me? Or did you do it for yourselves? Wow. When you did that spiritual thing, did you do it for God or did you do it so that everyone could take notice of how spiritual you are? Ouch. That standard that you live by, do, is that because you are trying to make sure that you don't offend anybody or is it because you really are interested in pleasing God? awful quiet. I'm just trying to preach the word tonight. I told you this wasn't going to be a comfortable message. I was hoping to get out of it. thought you all might mind the Lord tonight and I'd get out of it, but I'm not saying you didn't mind the Lord. <laughs> Don't twist my words. When you ate and drank, did you do it for God or did you do it for yourself? It won't be long, and I hate to say this, but it won't be long. It'll be Christmas. And we're going to have presents and, and cookies, and we're going to have uh, family dinners, and we're going to have a nativity and a program, and we're going to have all these things. Are we going to do all these things for the Lord, or are we going to do them because we've got to maintain our Christmas traditions? I mean, it is his birthday, Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having uh, Christmas cookies that don't really have anything to do with Christmas. I enjoy them probably too much. But here's the question. When we go through the nativity and we have the, the Christmas program and we have all of these things, are we going to do this for the Lord? Are we going to do it because we want to be the church that does the living nativity? with the live animals. We want to be, you know, we, we're going to have a feast. We're going to have a Christmas feast. 
But we we got to be real careful about what we say about the Lord because we have family there that doesn't worship the Lord, and so we're going to be real careful. Preacher, you're getting close. Yeah, I know it. I know it. You see, when we are asked why we do what we do, we doing the ritual or are we doing it because we have a relationship with God? It's really the question. And do you know what? Our, uh, the forefathers of, of this denomination made a decision that some of the rituals of the church they were no longer going to do because they became forms and not have anything to do with relationship. That was the reason why they made some of the decisions on the ordinances. Not because of biblical reasons, but because of the loss of the reality of what those rituals meant. And I wonder the message that we're sending to our, younger, our young people and to the next generation about the things that we think are important and our younger people are saying there's, there's a lot of ritual and there's a lot of form, but there's not a lot of relationship. Do you know that, that historically, throughout history, it's the generation after revival that begins to lose out? The first generation that gets saved, they're on fire for what God's done. And then the next generation, they go through the forms and the rituals. And then the third generation walks out of the church because they're tired of dead, lifeless things. And I wonder how long if it's, has, has it been since we've had a real revival where people have been on fire for the things of God. And what is this generation's experience? Is it going to be lifelessness or will they walk out on us? Is it a show? Is it because mom and dad said to do it? Is it because grandma and papa told us to do it? Or is it because we are madly in love with our Savior? Do you know I do some things that are strange? I've got some convictions that are mine that are strange. And you all might think that, that I, that, man, what's wrong with him? Why does he, why does he have that? Because I'm madly in love with my Savior. Do you know what? There's some things that I do that would make some of those that, that I got saved under, if they're gone, they'd roll over in their grave. Because some of the things they taught, I went to God's Word and I found there's no basis in this and I want to be biblical and I need it and I had to make some changes because I was in love with God. It wasn't important to keep those traditions alive. I needed to be biblical. And I know that's dangerous. I know that it can be dangerous because it comes back to the first point of the, what is the attitude in our request. Are we, do, are we wanting to be really biblical or are we trying to be rebellious and use biblical as an excuse for why we're being rebellious? See, these men wanted to be done with this fast. They were tired of doing it, and now they had a really good reason the temple's built. We shouldn't be fasting over the destruction of the old one. We should be celebrating the new one. They've got some really good arguments, and, and one that we could get behind and say, you know you're right. God didn't institute this fast. Uh, you're absolutely right. 
But the danger is, is the attitude behind it. United Methodist Church right now is going through a very difficult process, and they believe that in, I believe in February of next year, that the United Methodist Church is going to split apart. Because I believe there are at least five different ideas about how to handle the question of homosexuality. And so some of those ideas involve certain kinds of splits and other kinds of things, and, and, and I've been reading up on it. And folks, the problem isn't, the problem isn't that God's word has changed. The problem is, is people are asking questions based on a heart that says we want what we want. There's some things that, that, to be honest with you, I have, there's some things that probably I could, I would have a hard time defending biblically, but I have seen too many people that when they've gone down that path, they've fallen. And I said, you know what? I'm just not going to go that way. I'm just not doing it. I'm just not going to go that way. I'm not interested in going down that way. Every single person I see that, go, that, that starts making moves in that particular direction invariably takes a lesser way, and I'm not interested in that. But you see, the attitude is this. It isn't, I'm saying, it's thus saith the Lord. It's, I'm, I'm wanting to be careful because I want to serve my God faithfully and carefully and I want to make sure that I leave a path for my children that they can serve God on the same path and not stumble on it. And I thank God for those in our past that blazed trails. I thank God for those that, that made a decision that they were going to stay holy no matter what the culture did. I thank God for those that said we're going we're gonna to put God's word first no matter what. But you know, we can do that with a bad attitude. And God says, are you doing it because you love me? Or are you doing it because you want it for yourself? You get some kind of pleasure out of your fasting. You get to put on a show. I'm weeping over Jerusalem and that's fall of the temple. Man, I can't wait till this is over so I can get a good steak. Just go eat your steak. Just go eat it. It's not doing you any good and it's not doing God any good. Just go eat it. Man, I, I can't wait until our denomination changes its standard on this. I just can't wait till this standard change. Just quit doing it then. Preacher, wait a minute. Don't you want them to just keep do it, doing the, you know, the right standard? Don't we want them to just keep doing it? I mean, it's not. No, it's not doing them any good. It's not doing you any good to have uh, your hair uncut, ladies, just because that's what the church says. Unless you believe that you're doing it for the love of the Lord and for the salvation of your children, forget about it. Shave it bald. It doesn't matter. 
Man, you put on a shirt, go ahead and mow it with a bare chest if you want. If that's in your heart, go ahead. God says, go ahead and do it. If you're not doing it for me, it's all a sham. I don't count it for any glory. I don't count it as any righteousness. I don't count it at all for you. And I know this isn't the way that so many have preached it. They want you to fake it till you make it. But folks, God says that he would rather have obedience than sacrifice. And obedience that's outward but not inward is worthless to God. And it's worthless to you. It's worthless to you. Lord, help me. We were at the Gospel Center. Some of you are going to lose confidence in me. We're in the city rescue work. We had a problem. And that is that God had called us to feed our community. We had so many starving and hungry. We had, we had a huge, huge population of, of uh, immigrants. Huge population of people that we had a mental health hospital in our community, which meant that a lot of people with mental health moved into our community so they could have, be close to those resources. We had a lot of people on welfare, a lot of people that were uh, in it. We had a prison, because whenever you have a mental health hospital, you also need a prison in the same county, apparently, because you get both, both kinds. And I'm not really trying to be humorous. It's just kind of the way it is. We had a problem. We had a storefront church, and we were spending all the money that we had on ministry. And we made a decision, a decision maybe you won't agree with and maybe you'll lose confidence in me, but we made a decision that God called us to feed the hungry and so we fed people in our sanctuary. I said, what, what pastor, what, 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 what? There's no scripture in the Bible that tells us that we can't eat in the church. There is none. There is a passage that many people miss use in Corinthians about Paul talks about if you're not sharing the poor were eating with the poor and the rich with the rich and the rich wouldn't let the poor have the, their potluck and Paul says if you're not going to start being nice to one another and the wealthy are not going to invite the poor people to enjoy their steak then you, you might as well just go ahead and eat in your own homes there were no church buildings in Paul's day that scripture has nothing to do with eating in a sanctuary it's a tradition that we have done to give honor to the sanctuary, and I think it's a good one. But it's a tradition. It's not a word of the Lord. And we felt compelled that we needed to feed those people in our community that God had given us that as our responsibility. And so we, in the back, in the vestibule area, we set up our, oh, what do you call them, those pan things that you have, those roaster oven things. 
And we'd have food, and we'd dish it out, and they'd come sit, and they would eat, and we'd preach them a message. People who had never come into a church except for they were hungry, and they wanted some food, physical food, and we were able to give them some spiritual food as well. And I know, I know that violates tradition. And I know that violates some people's understanding of that scripture, a wrong understanding. I know, and that makes me awful liberal, I, I guess. And I had, a, I had a preacher complain to me about it and tell me that they didn't like what I was doing. And this is what I said, when's the last time you fed the hungry? When's the last time you've given somebody a cold, cup of cold water in the name of Jesus? When's the last time you've obeyed those commandments? Because those are black and white in the word. Thank God for our fellowship hall. That's not a problem here. I'm not trying to change what we do here. Thank God for that. But I'll tell you what, if we, if we didn't have that, if that thing fell down and we had a tornado through here and it destroyed that and our, we had a bunch of community people that were homeless, I'd say, let's put them in here. Let's let them sleep here. Let's feed them here. Let's use this sanctuary to help those that are in need. Desecrate our sanctuary, pastor? Absolutely, because our sanctuary belongs to God, not to us. I know I don't have all of yours, all of you yet. <laughs> That's all right. You just read this. You read this passage. You read about what Zechariah is saying, what God is saying here. Are you following this for me or are you doing it for yourself? When we keep our sanctuary holy, are we doing it for the presence of Almighty God? Or are we doing it just because we want to manipulate God into doing what we want Him to do? You see, all this fasting was about weeping and moaning to God so that God would bring them back. It was never for God. It was for, and it, folks, it wasn't even a repentance over their sin that caused them to get there. That's the worst part of it. It wasn't weeping over their sin that caused them their temple and their homes. And they were weeping and moaning over their losses, not over their sin. And we get so caught up on junk, on stuff, on rituals and traditions, and we don't even mean anything anymore. You can fast every single week. I hope some of you do fast occasionally. I hope all of you fast occasionally if your body allows it. But don't, don't fast to put on a show for everybody. And don't fast so that you can manipulate God to come into our services. But to fast to show God, Lord, I'm here. Show me how I can be obedient to you better. Help me to rely on you better. Help me to know that my dependence is on you and not on the food I eat. It's why you do it that matters. I know some are questioning my sanity right now. I question it every day. <laughs> Maybe some of you are even questioning my walk with the Lord. I hope not. But this is, this is where the Lord is speaking to us. 
Starts off with a request. The Lord gives a response, only questions. But then he goes right into a rebuke. He said, do you know why you all went to Babylon? Do you all understand why I spread you across the nations? Do you understand why I allowed my name to be run through the mud? Why I allowed my temple to be destroyed? Do you understand why? It's because you didn't follow the word of the Lord. You didn't take care of the widows. You didn't take care of the fatherless. You didn't take care of the immigrants. It's right there. The aliens are immigrants. It's King James for immigrant. You didn't take care of them. You didn't meet their needs. You didn't help them get established. You didn't help that widow lady take care of her in her time of need. You didn't help that fatherless boy to to, uh, have a a, a, a male role model that serves God. And folks, we got a lot of boys out here in this community that don't have a father. I told you this was not going to be comfortable to preach and it's not comfortable to hear. What are we doing about... Well, those aren't real widows. Those women, they, 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 they had all these different men. They, they didn't get married. Since when does God... Tell us to judge a person by their past. Since when did God take you and say, you know what? I don't think you're worthy to be a Christian. You know what? When you ask me for forgiveness, I just go throw you away. Because you know what? That clay I can't do anything with. Did he do that with you? Folks, there's some of us here That if God was in the business of throwing clay away, we would have been thrown out. Maybe you got saved when you were four or five and don't remember committing a sin. And maybe God wouldn't have thrown your clay out. But folks, he would have thrown my clay out. And there's some here that you love and some that you respect that God would have thrown their clay out if he is in the business of throwing clay away. But you know what? We're supposed to be imitators of Christ and we keep throwing clay away. You go through these lists of sins here in God's rebuke. These last, what, seven verses? And I tell you what, that is the sin of our day. And folks, if we're just going to be honest, it's the sin of our movement. We care more about our rituals and our standards and all of these things than we care about souls. Folks, we can care about souls without throwing away the standard. And thank God we can. We can care about people that that the world is rejecting. Folks, those are the kind of people we ought to be the most interested in. If the world doesn't want them, then we ought to be able to say, that's awesome, the church does. Or Jesus does. We'll take the rejects of the world. 
We'll take those that have been cast off. We're going to be friends and we're going to be encouragers and we're going to be helpers and we're going to be supporters. And it's a sad thing when the world can do a better job of getting around their own and supporting their own than the church can getting around and supporting their own or supporting those that need the Lord. I just heard this this week that Iran is the, the Christianity is the fastest growing religion in Iran. They're really excited about what God's doing in Iran among the Muslims. I'm excited about that. How many Muslims have you invited to church? How many Muslims have you talked to them about the Lord? Well, I don't know any Muslims. Well, if you know one, you better, you better take your chance. They might cut my head off. They might blow me up. Praise the Lord, you'll be in the presence of God. Isn't that what Paul said? Isn't that what Paul said? To live is Christ, death is gain. We don't believe what Paul said. We're more worried about getting blown up than we are about telling others about Jesus. You know what this Iranian Christian said? He said this. He said, here... We try to convert people so we can disciple them. He said, in Iran, we disciple them so that they can be converted. We try to get the cart before the horse. We try to get them saved and get them right before we try to start discipling them and showing them the things of God. Folks, that's not how they're doing it where they're having revival. And now I'm a pragmatist, and I think you know that the way I preach. If our way isn't working and theirs is, we better switch ways, unless it's not biblical. Who are you discipling so that they might be converted? Is it a widow? Is it a fatherless son or daughter? Is it the poor? Is it the immigrant? Why do you do what you do? Is it a lifeless ritual? Or are you madly, deeply in love with God? That really is boils down to the whole thing, doesn't it? You know, we can sit here in our air-conditioned church, our padded pews. We, I mean, we've got it comfortable. We're in a, in a country where we don't have to worry about being killed for our religion. And so long as we're not a cake maker or a wedding photographer, the, the world will pretty well leave us alone. And we just kind of sit here comfortable. I'm telling you... If we don't get serious about this, they're going to come for us. And we're going to be uncomfortable. And this is my prayer. Lord, if we don't, send the uncomfortableness soon. Let the Supreme Court's rule against Christianity every single time until the church gets back to what it's supposed to be. I don't like that preacher. 
I want the Supreme Court to rule our way, then we better start walking in obedience. And we better start doing things in the right way and with the right spirit and the right attitude because God will spread us a law around the world like the whirlwind, just like he did for the Jewish people. If God wouldn't spare his own chosen people, how much less will he spare us? How, if he, God is not willing to spare his own son, how much more is he not willing to spare us? We're not going to keep it at bay with our votes. We're going to keep it at bay by obedience. You say, I don't like preaching like that, preacher. I don't either. I've got children. I don't want to see face persecution. But I'd rather them face persecution and be on fire for God than for them to settle down in a pew, in a comfortable pew, in an air-conditioned church and just slide themselves into hell without any warnings, without any kicking and screaming, just comfortably sliding into hell. God sent judgment to the Jewish people to bring them back to himself. And you know what? They didn't go back into idolatry, but they never got this lesson. They never understood verses uh, 8 through 14. They never got it. And when Jesus shows up, he's dealing with the same things, these fastings that don't mean anything, these prayers that don't mean anything, this, all these rituals and forms that don't mean anything. And God separated and destroyed the nation of Israel and spread them all over the world again because they just wouldn't get verses 8 through 14. We don't get it either. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to take a message like this and we're going to put it out of our mind as quickly as possible so that we can get back to having comfortable church. It's what we do every time we have these kind of sermons. We'll put it out of our mind as quickly as possible and hope that the next service, the preacher doesn't preach too close. And we'll just forget about it as we creep ever closer to God's finally saying, I'm going to spread him to the whirlwind. And we think we're okay because we've got the rituals, we've got the fast, we've got the standards, we've got it all down, and we think we're okay. And we miss it. Until the next time an evangelist or your pastor gets up and does the same thing, and it stirs us for a little bit, and we quickly forget it as soon as possible, and go back to our comfortable slide. And I hope it's not a slide towards hell. Because we don't really madly, deeply love God. We just put on the form. Because it's comfortable. It's because it's what we've been taught. It's because what we know. There will be no one in heaven who does not love God. There will be many in hell. We'll have every standard 
you have and more. Let's stand together.